Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This week on Wealth Track, could U.S. trade tensions with China actually create investment opportunities there? In a Wealth Track exclusive, Matthews Asia investment pioneer Mark Headley says yes. He'll explain next on Consuelo Mack Wealth Track. New York Life, along with Mainstay's family of mutual funds, offers investment and retirement solutions so you can help your clients keep good going. Additional funding provided by Clearbridge Investments, a leg mason company, Thornburg Investment Management, Active Management, Flexible Perspective, Ku and Patricia Ewan through the Ewan Foundation, committed to bridging cultural differences, and the Fairholme Foundation. Hello and welcome to this edition of Wealth Track. I'm Consuelo Mack. Long before President Trump was even considered for office, a new leader in China announced plans to challenge the Western-led world order and establish China as the competing economic force. In 2013, President Xi Jinping announced that China's historic Silk Road, established more than 2,000 years ago, would be recreated as the Belt and Road Initiative, linking Asia, Africa, the Middle East, and Europe. The project has been described as the most ambitious and expensive foreign policy and infrastructure project the world has ever known. By China's accounting, the trillion-dollar plan will eventually connect 65% of the world's population, accounting for 30% of global GDP. So far, nearly 70 countries have signed on. Then in 2015, China announced its Made in China 2025 plan, a list of 10 priority industries it intends to finance and develop to control 70% or more of domestic consumption by 2025 and become the world's leader in their research and development. The sectors include telecommunications, aerospace, semiconductors, autos, and robotics. In 2017, President Trump came into office with his America First campaign with an objective to push back and reassert America's dominance in many of those same industries. Fast forward to today, with a couple of hundred billion dollars worth of tariffs being implemented or threatened, and we have a trade war. How has the market reacted? Well, long before the recent market correction, the U.S. stock market was going up and the Chinese market was falling. This week's guest believes the trade conflicts are creating opportunities for investing in China. He is a pioneering investor in Asian markets, including China. He is Mark Headley, chairman of the board of Matthews Asia. Prior to retiring from the firm in 2016, he had been CEO and chief investment officer and a portfolio manager since 1996, joining six months after the firm's launch. Among his many duties was 17 years as lead portfolio manager of the firm's flagship Pacific Tiger Fund and portfolio management roles with Matthews Korea, Japan, India, and China funds. 
The oldest and largest China fund is Matthews China, which has delivered average annualized returns of nearly 10% since its inception 20-plus years ago, handily beating its benchmark. I asked Headley to address the trade war first, why he thinks it's nuts. I just think trade, it's a complex, difficult issue. Uh, it, it's, it's become a big political confrontation. Right. And, uh, you know, I understand that there's frustration with China, that, you know, some of the backdoor talks and let's use quiet influence, you know, haven't gotten a lot of things that we've wanted. But on the other hand, calling them cheaters, saying that it's their fault that U.S. companies moved U.S. operations into China, largely with Taiwanese, Korean, Japanese partners to build the stuff that we all use and love every day, to call that China's fault is, is to me, uh, you know, misallocating blame. There are plenty of things to blame China about, but the fact that things in Walmart cost X instead of Y, and let's just say they're 20 or 30 percent cheaper than they would have been without the global supply system that has right. been evolving for 30 or 40 years. And, and let's face it, when, when I was a kid, there was a rust belt in the Midwest, you know, I remember going to Cleveland, uh, you know, as a young man and, and seeing these miles of factories. Um, somehow that's all being pinned on China, even though China was in Mao suits starving to death when much of that economic transformation happened. Mm. American workers have suffered from technological change and global integration for the last hundred years. Right. China is a big part of that, but it's only a part of that. It's not the cause. Um, my favorite analogy um, that I, I, I picked up recently was describing China as being like Amazon. That, you know, yes, Amazon is sort of rearranging our entire retail experience. Do I walk down to my neighborhood bookstore um, when I think of this wonderful book I want to buy? Or do I click, 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 and it'll be at my door the next day? This is the decision every American is making, and they are tending. And, and the China, why is China? And China is kind of creating things more efficiently. Um, the the manufacturing base that when I was when I started in '89, there was no manufacturing in China. Um, but I, when I started working in Hong Kong in 91, the very first Hong Kong manufacturers were moving across the border. And they were making the little plastic toys by the millions that would go with a McDonald's Big Mac. And they would tell me how much cheaper it was and how great, because we're going to beat out the Taiwanese and the Koreans and we're going to keep control of cheap toys for longer. Um, and, and so that move into China to find the most effective labor force at the lowest common uh, level right, has been time. going on the whole time. Yes. And it went from Korea and Taiwan and Hong Kong and Singapore and, and even Japan, and it moved into China. And, and one of the misperceptions that's out there is that this very large trade deficit uh, that has grown with China, um, a lot of it was transferred from these countries. And that China runs a trade deficit with much of the world, mm -hmm. um, including almost all the developing nations where it brings in raw, raw material, resources, food, everything China needs, and then it sends the high-tech stuff out so it runs, a, you know, it's got a big surplus with the rich countries. China's sitting in there in, in the middle of part of this huge global supply chain. It's not an evil plot mm -hmm. by nasty communists in Beijing. They wouldn't have known how to build any of this. This was 
put together by American corporations working with brilliant and Japanese, brilliant, and yeah, brilliant German engineers in Taiwan, right. who, you know, right. who, who were sitting there with missiles flying over their heads 20 years ago from China. But they moved all their factories over to China because it was the most efficient place to do it. Now, the Chinese government supported it with infrastructure. Um, there's almost no labor laws, so you know you could hire and fire people mm-hmm. at will in China, uh, particularly in the past. Um, and you know they allowed everything to function. You'd get electricity, you'd get water. The trains were built, the ports were built, the airplanes were flying. And unfortunately, in most very poor countries, you know, including India, right. that wasn't happening, or at least not at a pace that could allow this kind of integration. So, this is a global issue. It's a real issue. What happens to workers that get dislocated is a real social issue. Mm-hmm. I, I've heard great descriptions that we should be taxing global trade and putting some of that money back into re-education and you know, finding ways to re-energize economies that get hit. The, the, the pace of change is much higher. Um, but at least half, if not more of that change, is driven by technology. Right. The fact is America manufactures a lot more stuff than it did 20 or 30 years ago. It just takes far fewer people to do it. You know, it's no different than a coal mine that that might take 100 people today that 50 years ago might have taken 5,000. You know, those 4,900 jobs went away because of technology. Um, It's change like that that when you turn that into they're bad, we're good, to me, that makes no economic sense, and it's a political mistake. Right. And, you know, it is very political, and and clearly, you know, President Xi has has been very overt in laying down some standards right. for China. Right. And one of them is the Belt and Road Initiative, and the other one is, you know, Made in China 2025. Okay. These are very different than what Chinese leadership okay. used to do, which was, you know, Deng Xiaoping said, you know, kind of never lead. Do And so now we have somebody who has said, you know, very publicly, we're going to dominate some industries. We're going to be a world leader. Um, they're being very militarily aggressive. So you can see where there are frictions. And, and yet from an investment point of view, I'm, we're looking at these frictions and, and you're saying that this is actually creating some opportunities, that this friction can create some opportunities, right, from an investment point of view or no? Well, absolutely. I mean, yeah. I'm sorry. At the end of the day, I, I go back, I, you know, we were fortunate enough to cross paths with Sir John Templeton when he was, uh, you know, long past his professional career, but yes. still very active personally and eventually with his foundation. And, you know, he would come in and invest when everybody else was running out. And, and, and Paul Matthews and I really watched it and saw it and went, my God, you know, when he says buy when there's blood in the street, he really means buy when there's blood in the street. And it's a very hard thing to do. Well, let's wait till next week. Maybe it'll get worse. Maybe it'll get better. I'm not sure. I'll hesitate. Um, I loved it when Sir John actually wired some money in and to his, Matthews Asia. to the Matthews yes. to a Matthews fund that I, I won't mention, but but he wired some money in at a very desperate time in the Asian financial crisis, which which probably saved our company. Mm-hmm. But his secretary said, "Oh, he's always too early. I'm going to invest a month later." And she nailed the bottom. And to have his assistant know that he was always a little ahead of it, but he was right. And he didn't care if he was a month early, you know. And, and, and this is the argument I would make for investors. Right. I, you know, having lived through so many cycles in Asia and been through so many bull and bear markets, I, I, I really psychologically 
programmed myself to like bear markets. And, and a lot of it comes down to that you stress test the system. You, you, you know, the tide goes out, you find out mm-hmm. who's wearing a swimsuit, as, as Warren Buffett said, and you're, you're seeing where the weak points are. Big bull markets cover up weaknesses. Right. They, they create you know, problems that aren't evident till interest rates go up or there's a shock to the system. And, and right now we have interest rates going up and we have a trade war, the likes of which I don't think's occurred in my lifetime. And so that, that combination is going to be really interesting. And, and I think, you know, recent market volatility would indicate people are starting to take it seriously. For me, this is when you start thinking, okay, what are the investments I really believe in? Where are the areas, the sectors, the companies, the countries that I think 20 years from now will be in great shape and here's an opportunity to build that position. So is, is there a way to participate as a foreign investor in the Belt and Road Initiative, for instance, or in, you know, Made I, in China 2025? Well, I mean, those back, are huge government back, initiatives. Xi, I, I, and think, I think the most negative thing, the most negative thing in China today right. is Xi Jinping has reached all the way back past all the wisdom that Deng Xiaoping delivered from 1978 mm-hmm. on, and he has certain... Maoist tendencies. Yes. And that is of great concern to anybody watching China's trajectory. Um, the aggressiveness in the South China Sea is, is sudden, something the post-Mao leadership would never have done. Right. The Belt and Road Initiative, I mean, they've been off in uh, various Africa and whatnot, building roads and dams and doing things for a long time. Mm-hmm. But then to patch it up into this big, glorious thing, you know, here we come, the future is ours. Right. Be our friend. Or else, mm-hmm. you're not our friend. And, mm-hmm. and you see this, of course, with Taiwanese relationship, with the Dalai Lama's travels. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, this very heavy-handed, very nationalist position, um, which is also being reflected in any internal dialogue within China. Right. And, no, and, I'm, and, I mean, I'm looking at and, the and, internal and, high-profile and, individuals that have disappeared or been uh, shamed. There are confessions absolutely. now. If I mean, it if is... If you represent uh, laborers in reversal. China as a lawyer, you are in a very precarious place. Right. If you talk about free speech, if you, you know, it, this, this is a return to a much more nationalist, autocratic China. And I'm hoping it's temporary. Right. I think, mm-hmm. you know, Deng and Zhu Ranji drove this great reform. And, and then, you know, from 2000 on, they kind of just rode the wave of mm-hmm. the benefit of that reform. Mm-hmm. Of but opening, uh, opening, right, up opening up the market economy, right. the manufacturing Business, base, everything right. seemed to work. And, you know, 2007, everybody in the world wanted to buy our China fund. And we're like, mm-hmm. no, 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 mm-hmm. no, no, it's really expensive. You know, the market went down, the market went up. But, and then the 2008 Olympics, it's like, we're here, we're a superpower, we're the future. And, and it's, you know, I think they got ahead of themselves. And, and I, I do believe that part of the backlash um, that, that certainly, you know, the U.S. is leading right now mm-hmm. is reflective of a China, you know, going from this relatively quiet, low-key position right. to quite an aggressive position. And, and internally being a very aggressive with their own citizens. And, yes. you know, what's happening in Western China with the Uyghurs, mm-hmm. it, it, you know, there hasn't been anything like this, to my knowledge, before in my right. career, where you have a million people locked up being re-educated. Right. So, so this and, is, and now they're this actually admitted back. that these this, are not vocational training, that these are actually re-educational I, This uh, is not what anybody facilities. who believes in an right. open market economy wants to see in China. And, and you know, I, I, 
I've always said it's going to be two steps forward, one step back. And this we have is taken, two well, steps this back. could be two steps back. Right. And, and, and now, you know, again, we don't know what's going to happen next. But I do think China's going to be a lot more careful with its relationships. If it's really lining up as a more Cold War environment, which, mm. which you know, I hope is the worst case scenario, is that we're just in for a number of years of heightened significant tension with China, whether it's trade or the South China Sea, um, you know, they're going to be a lot more careful to the make friends around the world and around the region. I think they are going to learn that when people really see the Belt and Road Initiative mm-hmm. as a way to lend a ton of money, and there's this classic case with the Sri Lankan port where they couldn't afford it, so, oh, we'll just hand the lease over to the Chinese. Right. And, you know, I mean, so now, and, and you have Mahathir in Malaysia saying, hey, we like you, China, but we don't need your infrastructure projects. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I, I think there's, this is... There the, is the, pushback, there is... The, the card table that had been sort of assumed has been tossed over. Mm-hmm. And every time this happens, there's benefits that come. Mm-hmm. So hopefully China will reassess some of its aggressiveness and realize that it's losing friends around the world. People don't trust it um, like they might have or just assumed that it was relatively neutral. This whole sense that I had typically had, China's not out to dominate the world. The whole history of China is they just want respect. Well, this is is looking a little bit more like we want to rule the world. You know, we want to replace the U.S. When does this kind of, again, consolidation of power and control from the top um, impact, you know, the outlook for the China that we thought was evolving? Right. Well, and the China that we predicted has been evolving. Right. Real incomes have been going up at a tremendous pace. Consumption has been rising. The diversification of the economy has been occurring. Has been happening. Private Mm -hmm. companies are driving the growth in China today, and the state sector is smaller every day of the week. So from a purely economic point of view, and as an investor, Xi hasn't done any real damage yet. But there's a little sense of fear when you see Hong Kong booksellers being a when, you know, I, I, I mean, you know, yes, can I no. have an interview if like this in and business. be comfortable flying to Beijing the next week? You right. start wondering. And, right. and this is increasing around the world that there's a sense of autocratic governments will do whatever they want. Uh, right, they'll are, pluck you from, right, and from the, your more, embassy or whatever. Things are more dangerous than they were a little while, while ago. ago. And, and, and there is also a cyclical element to this where Chinese economy is definitely slowing down. And, and we are definitely seeing an environment where smaller and medium-sized companies are, are tightening their belt and they're concerned about the future. And, and some of that was happening before uh, the right. trade war started and going. And this is cyclical because there's a, so there's some liquidity being withdrawn. They're, they're trying to make right. sure that it doesn't get overheated. They're worried right. about the property market. And, and, and one of the challenges in China is that the big companies have access to capital, which is true in most places. The small companies, as soon as you tighten liquidity, the small companies get hurt. The medium-sized companies get hurt. They don't have the connections. They don't have the power. They don't have the big balance sheet. But I will say, I, you know, I, I, I think, you know, personally, I think most of that is in the valuations right now. We, we had a tremendous bull market in China last year. Mm-hmm. I've been waiting a long time for it. And Matthew's China fund was up, you know, better than 50% in 2017. It, we, China mar- Chinese markets had a wonderful year last year. I think they'd earned it. They'd had a hard time for a few years. And now we've given up yes. a, a great deal of that. And I, I think that the valuations are very attractive. I think the economic environment is a little difficult. And what 
I, you know, I, I had been building a position over a number of years in, in dedicated China funds, and now I, I'm out there looking at individual Chinese stock as an independent investor. No, so you're a private investor now, Mark. So for the first time in your career, because you weren't allowed to buy individual stocks, you are now buying individual or looking at individual Chinese stocks. It's really this fun. This is new. It's, it's totally new. I, right. I, I, we, Matthews runs one of the best compliance regimes in the asset management mm-hmm. industry. I am sure of that. And one of the rules we put in a long time ago is if you're going to invest in China, you're going to invest in our funds. Mm-hmm. Invest in Asia. You're going to invest in our funds. Right. And, it, and some people wouldn't join our company because of that. Um, but I always, we always felt it was the right thing. I am finally just an independent director um, sitting on the board, uh, and I am able to manage you know, my finances independently. Mm-hmm. And I personally... I'm running my portfolio relatively light on the U.S., relatively heavy on Europe, mm-hmm. and very heavy on Asia. Right. And, and, and it's a pan-Asia portfolio that's weighted towards China. Uh, that was very good last year. It's quite painful this year, and I wouldn't recommend, you know, you know, I can take a 10, 15-year view on it and write out the volatility. I mean, and then, and then for the next 10 to 15 years, then I mean, you know, should we should we be increasing our exposure, our again tiny exposure I, to China that most Americans have? I, I really hearken significantly. I, I really hearken back to that period from you know the peak of the tech boom in 99, 2000. To you know, for about ten years, the S and P barely moved. Yes, it, it moved a lot, but at the end of the day, your returns was zero. Right, and everybody went a lost wow. decade. It was a lost decade. Right, I think there is a risk after a five six year period of really excellent performance that you could see very low returns out Here, of the U.S. market. In the US. And yes, I think this is a time to be aggressively looking overseas. Mm-hmm. Is that popular? No, be a contrarian. I right. mean, you know, this is contrarian instinct of believing that China would actually, you know, the people that tell you that China is going to fail are the same people that told you that China would never be economically viable. China is incredibly economically Mm -hmm. viable. It is becoming more and more important every day. I don't think there's any stopping it, and I don't think we should be viewed as trying to stop it. We should be having much better, more in-depth, long-term dialogues with it about what's acceptable, what's what's reasonable. Um, politics and economics always go hand in hand. Right. You can't divorce them. So I believe having some direct exposure in China is a learning experience, and I think this is a great time to do it. One investment for a long-term diversified portfolio, then what would you have us all own some of? Well... Um, your previous guest already grabbed Alibaba. And, and I will say that is the one stock I own in China today. And mm-hmm. that's out of a great respect for... That's the uh, one stock you own I, in China today. That is the one stock I own in China. This is, as a I'm private eyeing, investor. I'm eyeing, uh, as a, as a pri- that is the All one right. stock. And I've been dollar cost averaging as it's been falling by like a rock. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I believe that uh, Jack Ma really had the vision. And, and of course, he, he, retires the exactly. week, he retires the week after I start my position. So there's life with... Uh, and and, with, and with what is but life? I believe his Alibaba lead, I believe, without Jack Ma. I think it'll be okay. I, I have enough respect for Jack Ma, and I've watched him long enough. He would not step down unless he felt his team was ready for it. But I will say, for most U.S. investors, I would recommend starting a position in a dedicated China vehicle. 
I love small caps. There are A-share ETF mm -hmm. vehicles mm -hmm. out there to people if you're really risk-oriented, or just a good solid China ETF or active fund. Start with a 1% position. If it goes down, buy more and spend the next two or three years building a 3 to 5% position in China. It, 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 to me, it's just a core part of any long-term growth portfolio. I really believe Chinese equities, which have had a really bumpy last 10 years or so, um, are due for a significant bull market. They were starting it to happen when the presidential election went down in the United States, and that stopped it. Then there was having it again last year, and the trade war has interrupted it. Yeah. But the underlying fundamentals of a really earnings-driven bull market in China, I believe, is intact, and it just keeps getting delayed. And serious trade tensions, um, some real economic pain, is when you want to be building your position. It's when you want to be, buy, to, to be buying. So that's my recommendation. Mark Headley, such a treat to have you as both a private investor and chairman of the board of Matthews Asia. Thank you so much for joining us on WealthTrack. Thank you for having me. It's always a pleasure. At the close of every wealth track, we try to give you one suggestion to help you build and protect your wealth over the long term. This week's action point seconds Mark Headley's one investment recommendation. It is to have some investment exposure in China. Now, Headley is suggesting investing 1% of one's equity portfolio in Chinese stocks, either through a Chinese country mutual fund or stock. We agree with the fund idea. Among Morningstar's analyst favorites are two Matthews funds, both earning bronze medalist status, the oldest and largest Matthews China, and for income-oriented investors, Matthews China Dividend. Among the many China-focused exchange-traded funds available, Morningstar prefers broadly diversified offerings. Its favorite is Spider S&P China ETF, symbol GXC. Now, China is the world's second largest economy. It is developing fast. Participating in that growth in a small way is a strategy that should pay off in the long run. Next week, Western Asset Management's municipal bond team manager Robert Amadeo fills us in on the best and worst investments for tax-free income. Plus, in this week's exclusive extra interview on WealthTrack.com, Mark Headley discusses what he is dedicating his time to now that he is no longer managing Matthews Asia. We'd love to hear from you, so please reach out to us on Facebook and Twitter. Thanks for watching. Have a great weekend and make the week ahead a profitable and a productive one.